Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our defender. For the times in our life where we face uphill battles, but we know you have gone before us. And through those times where we just need to sit and be still and know that all is well because you have gone before us. So many times we thank you for the good times, but also help us to to be more appreciative of the bad times because you know better than us. Thank you so much for always loving us. Thank you for helping provide the way through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever. And it is in your son's mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I have to have a read from my notes because I am not real good at memorization a lot of times. So uh, we are very blessed today to have Alex Honeycutt come talk to us and present the message. A little bit about Alex. I uh, grew up in South Bend. Uh, Notre Dame fan? Oh, yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I grew up uh, in South Bend. I graduated from Cincinnati Christian College in 2017, 16, 2016. And we know that uh, God is always working uh, in difficult times and through good times. He got married during the peak of the pandemic. So hallelujah. Um, He's also worked as campus ministry since 2017. Uh, he, his main focus is on life group ministry, supporting uh, leaders and putting new students into groups. So everybody, please welcome Alex. All right. Am I? Ooh, I'm on. Awesome. I didn't have to do anything. So yeah, thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you for uh, just let me come here and speak today. So really quick disclaimer, um, I grew up, my mom is a sign language interpreter. So what that means is she can communicate talking with her hands and not use words. Growing up, I would watch her do this, but I never actually learned the, the language. All I knew is when you talk, you move your hands a lot. So I'll try my best to keep it contained, but no promises. Um, so yeah, just a quick, um, overview first, I just want to start off by talking about uh, what I do for a living. So I work with an organization called Christian Student Fellowship Indianapolis. And yes, so right now we're just going to have a bunch of slides kind of filtering through. This is our student leaders. These are students who are the heart and soul of everything we do. They head up everything. Um, they're just awesome. We got one of them right down here, area native Rachel. And so if you have questions later, Feel free to find her. Um, so overall, our whole mission is to, uh, we, we say to pursue, model, and teach intimacy with Jesus. And what that means is as we, uh, as we, personally, um, as we personally pursue Jesus in our, our reading time, our worship time, everything we do, it's going to filter in to our life. And as it filters into our life, we're going to model our pursuit. And as we model that, that opens the door to teach other people the same thing, whether they are uh, people who are familiar with Jesus but don't really know how to take next steps, teaching them to go further, or people who just Jesus is a foreign concept. They just know he's some dude 
who is probably like some white guy in the Middle East or something. But, um, and so being able to teach like those first steps of coming in. Um, so yeah, so we do that through a bunch of different ways. Our main thing is, so this is like with one of our service projects. We work with a lot of area, or excuse me, organizations downtown. And this one is with FAME, where they do medical missions. Um, so we wanted, we wanted to be able to serve. We have fellowship times. We hang out and play basketball. Um, and I, my wife, Sarah, is awesome at it. And so I like to think I'm awesome at it, but that's a story for another time. Um, so we do fellowship times. We do once a month. So our whole thing is we want to... Uh, we want to invest in local church. We believe in the local church. We don't want to replace, because we know a lot of times, uh, sometimes it gets easy for college ministries, for the students to get so caught up in that, that that becomes church for them. And then when they graduate, they don't know where to go. How do I go and be in a place where not everybody is in my same current walk of life? Um, so we love, we, everything we do is to equip uh, college students to, to be invested in the local church. So we don't do any organized events on Sundays, but what we do is once a month, we will get, um, weather, weather depending, we will get a reservation on campus, or we actually have been able to start doing outside. Uh, there's this beautiful amphitheater. I don't know how familiar you guys are downtown, but like, there's this amphitheater behind the NCAA headquarters, and you can rent that out. It's awesome. And so we'll have, like, a worship service, all student-led. We do, um, I kind of like to call it speed dating for uh, the local church. <laughs> so we'll have different churches come in, and they'll bring in food. And because it's one thing for us to say, hey, go to such and such. Go to the river. Go to all these places. But if they don't know anybody, then it's intimidating. So what this does is, this gets faces connected. And it lets the churches be able to see it's more than just those college students. The nameless, like, like you can see, like you get to meet them and interact with them and build a relationship. And it's so cool. Um, so we have that. And then we have life groups, which is where my main focus is, which are all student-led. And it's awesome. I believe we have 11, 12, depending, uh, coming up this year, and it's so cool. They'll either meet on campus or in their apartments or at our campus house, and they pursue Jesus together and build a relationship with each other during that. And it's just been so awesome because you see, um, you see relationships build with people who, like, they wouldn't have anything to do with each other. They just wouldn't know each other because their classes don't overlap. But because... They're in this group, this Jesus community, pursuing him together. Some of the best friendships. That's the real growth of our ministry. So it's so cool. Um, I guess I should probably say what campuses we are. <laughs> so our main is at IEPUI. And over the last year, we actually had one of our girls transferred to Marion and started a life group there. And then actually, really exciting is this year we're going to start one through UND on the south side. So it's so exciting just thinking of all the things God's preparing to do. Um, but yeah, so if you guys know anybody at any of those schools, feel free to come contact me or my wife Sarah or Rachel. 
And, and yeah, uh, we'll have more information out on the table, uh, out in the back by the cool window. So, yes, let's pray and get into the word. God, just thank you so much for uh, just a beautiful day where we can come and pursue you together as one body. Um, and just thank you that you're always fighting our battles for us. Thank you that we can trust in that and just help us to glorify you through all we do and help us to hear what you're wanting us to hear today. And Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, one more disclaimer. So this is just kind of the way my mind works. It, it'll, think, it'll be things that sound complicated, but I promise if you bear with me, it's so worth it. And talking with Tyson, uh, I think you guys are kind of ready for it. So <laughs> he's a sharp dude. Um, yeah. So have you ever watched someone do something and it just kind of, like you know what they're doing is good. It's a good result. But then you watch how they do it, and it just bothers you. You're just like, why? Why are you doing all these extra steps? You don't need to do all this, right? Like, we love the phrase, uh, what is it? Work smarter, not harder. Um, I did not embody that phrase very well, especially in college. Um, it's like in college, I'm a big note taker, and I would take, I took pretty thorough notes. But when test time came, those notes were not enough for me. I blew it up into what at least felt like thousands of note cards. Um, and my friends would walk by and give me a hard time because they took good notes. They don't need all this. Um, and, but I just, I needed these extra steps because they were going to help me remember something. Um, they were going to help me remember something very important. And it worked. I'm here with a degree. Um, so Jesus... I don't know if you've noticed this. Jesus will do things sometimes, and 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 the yeah, it's incredible the miracles he'll do. But sometimes the more I don't know if I want to say the more interesting thing, but something that we skip over is the the process. Sometimes Jesus will just be extra, but when he does it, it's for a purpose. It's because he wants us to remember something really important. So our passage today is in Mark seven starting in verse 31. And uh, while you guys, if you guys have your Bible or your phone and want to get to that, awesome. And while you're getting there, some background. So Jesus, right before this story, uh, Mark tells a story where Jesus is walking through and this woman comes and she just like falls at his feet. She says, Jesus, my, my daughter is possessed by a demon. Please help. And after this, honestly, kind of wild conversation, that's a whole different sermon, but um, after this conversation, this woman just, like, amazes Jesus with her faith. And you know what he does? He heals the daughter. And what's crazy, the daughter's nowhere near. (laughs) Like, Like, Jesus has the power, the authority, to kick a demon out of its home and not even be around it. So that's the type of thing that Jesus, he can be very efficient. And then he can also do things like today. So Mark 7, 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. 
And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. The man spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Wow. So, I don't know if you caught that. Uh, Jesus took some extra steps. If he has the power to evict a demon by just a word, certainly he can just snap his fingers and heal this guy. But no, he takes the guy, even though he takes him aside privately, let's be real, people have been the same for thousands of years, and we're all nosy. Like, everybody, you know, everybody's trying to take a peek, trying to take a peek, see what's going on, what's Jesus going to do, what cool thing is he going to do? And just picture being in this audience. Like, I think I would, I don't know if I'd laugh from awkwardness or just because this is so weird, or I'd just be, I would be confused. Because, like, picture, just picture Jesus as, like, inspecting this guy, right? You know, he's looking, he's like, okay, uh, let's clean out that ear, let's turn around. Uh, Q-tips are not a thing yet. Okay, uh, face me. Okay, I know I need... <coughs> reaches in, grabs the man's tongue. <laughs> Be opened. Voila. The man's healed. What the heck? That's so ridiculous. Like, why is Jesus being doing all this extra? But like I said, when Jesus takes these extra steps, he wants us to remember something. So what does he want us to remember? Um, I believe the answer is actually found in the crowd's response. So the crowd, they say two things. They say, wow, he's done all things well. And he even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. So we're going to dig in. We're going to look at the first part, and it's going to tie into the second. So when is another time in the Bible when God does something, and the result is that it is good. Yes, thank you. Page one of your Bibles, Genesis chapter one, God creates, right? And everything is uh, good, right? So he goes on this pattern, this very, it's called the song of creation. It's um, the structure of it is a memory tool, right? It's a, it's a poem. It's a very rigid. It's a song. It's designed in a way that we remember the, his, the history behind it. Um, so he goes through. For five days, he creates, right? And it's this same pattern. God creates. He gives it a job. He steps back, and he says, this is good. And I don't know about you guys. So like for me, my mind can't really wrap around the world. So, so for me, I picture this like a diorama, right? And God's this master artist. And each day, he puts something in. 
messes with it, gives it something to do. He's like, okay, that's good, that's good. Next day, same thing, for five days. And this word good um, is the word tov. If, if you guys can say that with me, tov. Good job, tov job. Um, but, so tov, Hebrew words operate like English words, right? Like our words can mean different things and the context helps us decide which meaning. So like if I said the word run, um, you're probably thinking of different things. If I say I'm gonna run to the grocery store, I'm getting in my car. I am not running in the grocery store. Um, getting in my car and I'm driving. If I say I'm going to run three laps around this gym, um, I've probably lost a really bad bet. But the imagery is I'm using my legs and I'm moving them around the gym quickly, quote unquote. Um, or if I say I'm gonna run the numbers, I am going to take this calculator that I always have in my pocket, plug numbers in and let my phone do math for me. Um, so the context, run can mean all these things, but the context helps us figure it out. So Tov can have like three main types of good, right? So you have the functional, something has a purpose, like my watch, it tells me the time, and because the year is 2021, it tells me 18,000 other things, but when it does these things, it's a good watch, it's functional, it works. I can say, uh, there's a visual type of good. So like I can look at my beautiful wife, Sarah, and say, wow, God did something so good. So, Tove, right? There's a visual beauty there. And that's what we get the first five and a half days of creation, right? So for five and a half days, God, for five days, God creates, gives something a job. He steps back. He's like, okay, this works, and it looks nice. Um, there's something missing. So on day six, he creates animals. And... Um, and when he does this, he does the same pattern, right? He creates the animal, he, um, he gives it a, something to do, and he says, this is good. I actually have a picture of an animal with me. So this little cutie pie is, um, I think his full name is something like Sullivan, uh, Jim Morrison, Socks and Toes, Honeycut the First. We just call him Sully. I don't know. My brother, it's my brother's dog. He can be over the top sometimes. Uh, so this is Sully. Sully, if I say who's a good boy, Sully's a good boy. So Sully, he's a good boy because, one, he functions, right? If someone tries to, he's a, he's a great, um, maybe not guard dog, uh, maybe alarm system. So he if someone tries to break into my brother's house and deliver mail, Sully will let them know. If a gang of squirrels is plotting their takeover of the land, Sully will sound the alarms. If you say, here, boy, come here, his brain, he's going to hear this. His brain will process it. He's probably going to run a few like really excited circles because he's so pumped that someone wants to hang out with him. But eventually, he's going to come here, and he can pet him, he can do whatever. Um, so he functions well. He, obviously, the visual, but a cute little doggo. So, but there's something missing, right? This is the first five and a half days of creation. It works, 
It's visibly pleasant, but there's still something missing. So God interrupts the rhythm of the song. He interrupts the rhythm of the poem. So instead of create, function, it is good, next day, he says, create, function, it is good, wait, we're not done yet. And he creates something incredible. He creates the human, right? So the human, it says, he does something just completely different, again, in this structure. He, he gives the human a job, but then he does something different. The human is, so God created him in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the human is kind of like, so I don't know a lot about art, um, but from what I do understand is, is a work of art can be pretty valuable, but it's not nearly as much without some sort of signature on the piece. And humanity is the signature of the divine and this diorama called the world. So humanity now brings this extra element. We're created in the image of our maker. We, that shows itself in different ways. We're given this inherent value because we're the signature of God. And it shows itself in ways that we all, excuse me, um, things that we all agree are important. We just don't agree on how they should look. Like things like justice and love and truth um, all these things, because they hit a nerve, because we're created to image our maker, to glorify our maker. When we do our job well, and we're imaging our maker well, the result is beautiful. And um, I actually have another picture. So this is Baby Drew. Uh, Baby Drew is Tove. Let me look at him. Just a cutie. Uh, nephew. That's the nice thing about having a brother who's just enough ahead in life is I can just ask him for a picture of his baby and dog and, and not have to have my own yet. Um, but So I can still have sermon examples. Um, so baby Drew is a human. Um, and as such, he can represent his creator. Like there, As much as we love... Sully, and there's just no compare. Like, baby Drew is worth infinitely more. And it's because he holds the capacity to represent God through all those things um, that we just mentioned. And, and he, he does, he's a full tove, right? He functions, he eats his food, his body uh, processes that the way it needs. I'm sure some parents still have nightmares about those days. Um, but he functions well. You put, you get up close to his face, you boop him on the nose, you wave your fingers in front of his face and make a high-pitched silly noise, and he, his brain, he sees this, his brain processes it, and he giggles. And, and it's a contagious little laughter. Um, so he functions well. Obviously, adorable, there's the visual tove. And again, because he's made in the image of God, he has the capacity for world change, really. Um, but, as you know, so this is Genesis 1. 
right? This is, this is incredible. And then, as you know, the story doesn't end after chapter one or even chapter two uh, because chapter three, the humans decide to um, kind of call an audible, right? They think, they start to think God's holding out on them. And so they, they go away from their job. They don't do their function. In fact, they do what they're told not to do. And, and in this, they break this connection that they've had with the creator. They don't do their job, and the result is not beautiful. It's ugly. And that's the world where we live today. There's a curse that begins here, and we're still living in that today. And, and praise God that the story doesn't end at page three, right? There's thousands of years of God laying the groundwork to redeem this masterpiece. So, and that's where Jesus comes in. So, why does this connect to Genesis 1? So, the Bible also tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that through the Word, all things were created, and apart from Him, nothing, nothing's created. And so, what that means is this whole art project, Jesus is the artist. And then, that second part of their phrase, when they say he even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak, it's this, this uh, reference to Isaiah. So Isaiah, in uh, chapter 29, has this interesting kind of, it's this weird kind of combination of like, Israel has really, really messed up, but there's also hope for redemption. And so it starts and has, in the middle of this chapter, this talking about how um, people will be spiritually, um, basically spiritually blind and deaf, and they won't be able to, like, you know, like seeing, they won't perceive. Um, but then, just a few verses later, the Holy One of Israel, Jesus, is going to come, and he's going to restore. The deaf will be able to hear. Um, and in this, in this chapter, there's this really fascinating imagery where Isaiah, um, I kind of like that too because it gets, God gets really sarcastic with people, um, and I'm 90% sarcasm. So, but he goes, oh, you, you dum-dum. Um, can the clay look at the potter and tell it what to do? No. You got to get your role right. God is the potter. Humanity is the clay. So when Jesus is doing this, with, um, so probably not Mark. Mark wasn't one of Jesus' original uh, followers, but many people believe that, um, that Peter is his source material. So when Peter's watching Jesus, you know, mess with this guy, he's watching the potter tinker with the clay. He's, Jesus is this, what he's giving them is a visual lesson right now because Israel cannot wait for this Messiah. This Messiah is going to restore everything. And even though the Isaiah passage is the spiritual deafness and blindness, Jesus gives them a, a visual to say, hey, 
that thing you're waiting for, I'm bringing it. Here's the proof. Here's a literal, the potter restoring the clay, restoring what has been broken by the curse, and he's laying the ground for something so much more beautiful. And that's where, that's where what he does on the cross, right? Our sins, we all make the same types of decisions that the first humans made, right? We all break from our function, um, and we disrupt the tove, right? We mar the signature and try to devalue it. But what Jesus does is he takes the price. Like, like when we make these decisions, we earn death, and not just our bodies giving out, but, but this separation from the creator. And when Jesus goes on the cross, he takes the price of that. And then he's put in a grave, but then death cannot hold him down, right? <laughs> like, like death can't hold Jesus down, has no power over him. So Jesus, defeating death, takes on our price, but then also restores a path back to the creator. He, oh man, amen on that. That is, I can't just, man, Jesus is just amazing. I just can't get over that. Um, But as he's doing this, he then, because again, what they're waiting for from Isaiah is a reverse of the curse. And Jesus that's what he does. When, he, when we accept what he's done, we become what the Bible calls a new creation, right? The potter is now making a new humanity. He is restoring the signature. And so what we are as Christians, we're to live out this new tove, right? We're to live out. We have this new function, this new, this new beauty, this new wholeness. We are... Um, and we're not perfect at it yet, right? Like, I, you don't need me to tell you. Like, even after accepting Christ, sin still happens. But what is happening is this, we're in what uh, theologians call the, the already, but the not yet, right? Like, Jesus has begun this work. There's no stopping it. But it's not at its fulfilled. We're not at heaven yet. But the curse is being reversed, right? We are being, uh, the big churchy word is sanctified. We're being made perfect. We're being made pure. We're being drawn towards this new tove. We're glorifying our creator, Jesus. And so, um, so, what are we supposed to do with all this? Um, so our function is kind of a twofold ordeal. So what we focus on typically is the external function, which is things like Matthew 28, where Jesus says, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey what I have commanded. And that's the external. But today I want to focus on the internal, because I think the internal helps with out here. And when I say internal, just to clarify, um, I'm not talking about like the individualistic thing, but as a community. How are we, what's our job in regards to each other as a community? And I believe something we see in this that we also see in Jesus's life is uh, the word intercession, right? We're 
stepping in. What's Jesus' connection with the man who's deaf? Other people bring the man to Jesus. They say, hey, this guy needs help. Only Jesus can help. And Jesus, right before he goes on the cross in John 17, he lays out uh, what is called the high priestly prayer, right? And he, he prays for us. Like, he's getting ready to be murdered, but he's praying for us. He's praying for, for his immediate contacts, those believers, but then all who come to faith based on their testimony. That's, that's us. And what does he pray for? He prays for unity because the, the church as a whole is a body, right? And as one unit on one single mission, Satan can't stop us because we have, we represent our creator. We glorify our creator, Jesus. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And, uh, and when Jesus prays for unity, it's more than just, um, just being one for oneness sake, but it's, he even says it in there, is that the, the world will see how we treat each other. It's like uh, John 13, 35, right? He says, then the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And what Jesus is praying for here with unity is that when the world sees how well the church treats its, its family, there's a beauty to it. Like, that's, that's what we want to get into. Like, I know I've... Um, I've just heard a lot of stories of people where they're, they kind of use that as kind of, a, uh, kind of an excuse of just like, oh, I see how Christians treat each other. I don't want to do that. But what Jesus is praying for here is he knows that when we do love each other well, we're able then to do the external. We're able to, as we go, make disciples and baptize them and teach them because they see the beauty of the new creation. Um, so, something we do with our life groups is at the end of each lesson, we try to add in a practical takeaway. Okay, this is great information. Let's give it legs. What do I do with it? So, the word is intercede. So, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to say find Two people, two Christians, one is someone with whom you worship in this space, and one is someone who is a believer but worships elsewhere. And pour into them, like start your mornings praying for them and like really pouring your heart out to God for them, but then also getting into their life even more, giving them a call, meeting up for coffee. Um, maybe don't lead with, hey, I'm praying for you. But, um, but, but really get into the life. How can you be, how can I be praying for you? How do you need me to be an encouragement for you? Um, because the devil wants nothing more than for the people of God to treat something that's smaller than God as something big, as something that divides us, and so, and it's really hard to be divided if we're constantly 
praying for each other and encouraging each other. Um, yeah, so I'm going to pray, and then I don't know if there's more songs or what's next, but God, uh, just thank you so much for, for not giving up on us, um, for, for just instilling this new creation, for creating a way for us to be back in relationship with you. Thank you for the community you've put around us and um, just that we're two or more gathered, like you are there and just help us to continue to be that encouragement for each other to spur each other on so that as we're going out into the world, as we're focusing on bringing people in, that they can see just how beautiful your way truly is. And just help us to continue to glorify you with everything that we do. And just pray. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Um, we will be dismissing here in a second. Please know that if there is anything you need prayer for, I will stay here with you uh, and pray. Uh, but let's, let's go to Father again. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the message that was brought to us today in the worship that helps us with clarity. Please help us bring light to the world that so desperately needs your word. There are so many people that need to know about your son, Jesus Christ. Please help us to bring his name and word to those that so desperately need him. For it's in your son's mighty and precious name we pray. Amen.